0: Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you as we continue and conclude tonight our series dawning. Over the last few weeks, we've been thinking about how we respond to false teaching in the light of what Jesus has done for us. We had Easter a few weeks ago. We had that glorious light of the resurrection and the grace of God. And yet too often in both Peter's day and in the day to day, we find ourselves being drawn instead to things that look like light but turn out to be darkness. And Peter's challenging his audience originally and us because he's someone who's often chased after the wrong things. We looked at that last week, how he was the one who was unstable. We see that in his life with Jesus during Jesus's earthly ministry. Peter's always inserting his foot into his mouth. And and so he has experience in chasing after things that ultimately aren't going to satisfy. But he knows what will satisfy. And he knows what will satisfy not just him and not just his original audience, but each and every one of us today. And so as we wrap up this series and we think one more time about the things that draw us away from our Lord, may we ask that he would shine light into our own hearts and help us to see those places that we, like Peter, are chasing after the wrong things. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for your truth, your love, your light that you place in our lives. And as we find different things in life that seem to to call us towards them, things that seem to promise immediate success or happiness, that seem to offer escape from whatever it is that that we worry about. Lord, would you help us instead to see that the solution is always you, and it's always your truth. Would you help us to hold on to that, to hold on to your promises, to hold on to your grace, and not the things that are merely illusions. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading this week about a man by the name of Maruo Prosperi, and he was an Italian runner. He went and ran years ago in the Sahara Desert, and, and he's not really famous for his accomplishments as far as achieving a certain ranking in the in the desert. As far as I know, he never meddled at all in the desert, but in this race, this first race he'd ever run in the Sahara Desert, he was maintaining a pretty good pace he was i think in third place doing really quite well he'd never run in the desert before and yet things were going well for him even around more experienced desert runners and and so when the heat hit the right level to start a sandstorm he kept running because he knew he couldn't see the other runners there were they were spread out there were only about 80 runners and it's out in the middle of nowhere but he knew that he was in a pretty good place in the race and he didn't want to lose that place he wanted success and so here he was, and he was going to chase after that prize. And he thought he could see the path ahead of him in the midst of this horrible sandstorm that went on all day long. So he kept running and running, going along on this race. But what he realized as the sand subsided is that he looked around and he couldn't see any of the markers for the race. He couldn't see any other racers. Eventually, he worked his way up to the top of a sand, a tall sand dune and looked around, couldn't see anything familiar, any sign that he was anywhere near what he was supposed to be. What it turned out is he'd been chasing a a mirage of sorts. He'd been chasing this illusion of success on this path he thought he saw in the midst of the sandstorm, and he didn't have any idea where he was. Now, this was before GPS, so he just started walking, trying to figure out what direction to go, trying to figure out a way back to where he needed to be. But he quickly found himself running out of water, running out of supplies. As the days rolled on, he started to become incredibly desperate, taking extreme measures, trying to even recycle his own bodily fluids to somehow stay alive because he had no water left. Then finally he, he saw a building over one of the sand dunes and it, he thought he'd finally found some kind of settlement, something to at least survive. He'd given up surely by this point any chance of success in the race, but he thought maybe he could survive. And he arrived at this little shrine, only to find it abandoned. So it was, here he is sitting in this shrine. He'd been chasing after success. He thought he was on the road to success. And everything kept coming up empty. All because he was chasing after a mirage, an illusion. He thought there was success. He thought there was promise. And yet that promise was empty. And that's exactly what Peter is telling his audience. Telling us that those things that we chase after are too. Take a look. As we continue in Second Peter chapter 2, take a look at verse 17. He says of the false teachers, These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Here's what it really comes down to that Peter is saying. When we hear false teaching, when we hear people justifying sin, when we hear people justifying easy worldly success, but somehow couching it in spiritual language, when we see people rejecting the morality of scripture, when we see people altering scripture to fit their own desires, what are they doing? They're doing exactly what Maruo thought he was doing. He was chasing after success that wasn't really success. They're encouraging us to chase after success that isn't really success, to find refreshment that isn't really refreshing. and That's the image that Peter has here in verse 17, that, that these false teachers, the false teaching that entices us is like a waterless spring. What's the use of a waterless spring? It isn't useful because it doesn't have any water that's going to refresh us. And yet, if we have that picture of a mirage of a spring where we go over to it because we're thirsty, we chase after it, and then we find that we're just further away from an actual solution. Mist in a storm. If mist is blowing around, it's not going to hydrate you. It's not going to refresh you because you can't drink it. It's just blowing around, being whipped about by the wind. And so often that's who we are. And friends, we we can't just think about those other people that face false teaching and chase after false teaching. We need to genuinely do as we were praying about as we opened tonight. Ask God to help us see where that is happening in us, because all of us are going to have those places that we haven't yet had the Word of God, the Spirit of God, correct us in those blind spots to sin in our lives, those blind spots to, to places where we're keeping other people out of God's grace, those blind spots where, where we think we're being gracious, but we're actually leading people down a false path of, of immorality, of, of worldly success. And it's not going to refresh us and it's not going to refresh the people who see our lives and our actions and our words and think that they're speaking of God's truth. They're going to be like that waterless spring. We're going to be left thirsty. And, and in this, we see in false teaching and in false understanding of God's word that it is exactly opposite of who Jesus is and what he does. Because as we see over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus is the one who brings refreshment. Take a look, for example, at John chapter 7. So, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Earlier in John chapter 4, Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman and told her that, that he offered living water, that you never had to keep coming back and, and trying to get water out of a well. You, you could have living water that would last with you false teachers leave us thirsty instead. It's like going to get water and instead realizing that we're drinking liquid salt and just finding ourselves more and more thirsty. What is it if you you go to some place that wants to charge a lot for for its soft drinks? What are they going to do? They're going to give you salty food. Maybe they're going to give you a lot of peanuts or, or french fries with lots of salt and then they're going to charge you for refills on your drink. Why? Because the point isn't to actually refresh you. The point is to sell more beverages. This has been done over and over again over the years at restaurants and bars and so on. And likewise, false teachers appear to refresh us in the moment. It tastes good. It, it, it It's soothing on the tongue. And yet what we realize is that we're actually being left thirsty because the further away we get from God, the further away we get from true grace, the more we realize how empty that is. Maybe it's a, a false teacher who, whatever our sinful inclinations are, those places we want to overlook in our lives, whatever those things are, the, the false teacher that says those things are okay. It's okay to to, not be quite honest at work. It's okay not to love certain neighbors because they, they annoy me. It's it's okay to, to be angry, but only if it's on social media. Then we can be just outright outrageous because we're showing righteous indignation. What is it for each of us? It to be different for each of us, but here's the key thing. In the moment, it feels like it's refreshing. It it feels like we're staying on that path in the middle of the sandstorm, the whipping wind and the sand hitting us of life for the challenges we think. I am on this path. Now, what did Maruo really need to do? He needed to stop while he wasn't particularly lost so that when the the storm died down he could find the guides on the path again the, the markers and so on or someone else could have rescued him but since he kept charging ahead at full speed he found himself further and further away and by the time that he could see again by the time he realized the path he was on wasn't really a path at all he was really really far away and incredibly weakened that can be us too We can be spiritually weakened. If you are a believer in Jesus, you've trusted in him, you can have confidence that he's not going to let go of you. And and, and yet still, when we chase after false teaching, it weakens us, and it leaves us feeling isolated from him, and it leaves us feeling unsatisfied. It can be a struggle to come to him in prayer. It can be a struggle to sit down and read his word because we just feel so drained and so weak. And yet these false teachings feel so refreshing in the moment because just like that path in the sandstorm, they seem to promise the things that we want. So often false teachers promise freedom. Freedom from dealing with people that annoy us, freedom from having to resist sin that we don't really want to resist, freedom to do whatever we want, freedom to feed our own desires, our own importance, our own status, our own success. We think we have freedom, but it isn't real freedom. Real freedom, biblical freedom, isn't freedom to do just anything because that ultimately is destructive and it corrodes us and it leads us away from an experience of freedom in Christ. Rather, real freedom is freedom that's controlled by Jesus and the desire to be closer to him. Real freedom looks like care for our neighbors. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul talks about this. He says, And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed if we're chasing after what we think is important for ourselves. The brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, Paul there isn't arguing for a starvation diet. Rather, he's in the context of a controversy on meat. There's meat that's been sacrificed to idols. In fact, if you live in a ancient Greco-Roman town, more than likely, if you go to the, the equivalent of the grocery store and you go to the section, the, the, the meat case, and you go up there and you start looking for your steaks or your chicken or your turkey or whatever, you're going to find meat sacrificed to idols because most of it was. So what are you to do? Well, Paul and the other apostles had said very clearly, idols aren't real, so this meat can't somehow be possessed by the idol. And so some Christians were eating the meat sacrificed to idols, while others, from biblical conviction, concern out of idolatry, couldn't. And and yet the ones that, that thought they could were saying, well, but we're free in Christ. See, here they're even speaking truth to an extent. And so they said, well, I don't need to worry if that makes you uncomfortable. There's the falsehood. how quickly we can go from truth to falsehood they were right that that the idols had no power over that meat that they were free in christ to eat that meat and yet what they weren't free to do was ignore the person whose conscience they were hurting here was someone who didn't see that freedom who didn't understand it and and even if we say well the ones that did were somehow more mature in jesus they understood things better what we can say is they didn't really understand things better because they didn't think it was any concern if they cause someone else to stumble. That other person watching them eat that meat was was stumbling in his or her own mind trying to understand how believers could be eating idolatrous meat. And maybe that person goes along with it, eating it as as he or she felt like it was sin. Well, that's a sin in itself. Or they're just thinking that Christians aren't really sincere and therefore being weakened in their spiritual state. Either way, what we see here is the falsehood isn't necessarily always even the concept itself. I know an awful lot of the celebrity pastors, ones that I, I've even seen referenced around Little Hills, that are, are, are saying true stuff. They're saying the things of God's word, and yet they're doing it with such a ungracious attitude, with such a legalistic attitude, with such a who cares about what this does to anyone around me kind of attitude. That they're actually... Essentially, false teachers. It's not enough simply to say what's true. You need to actually care about those around you as you do it. And so false teachers come in many, many stripes. Some of them are actually saying outright falsehood. Some of them are simply doing it in a false way. But in all this, it's the exact opposite of what Jim was talking about during last night's sermon. When we think about what we heard last night as as Jim was talking about how Jesus ate with the sinners... Jesus was combining truth with love in the perfect way. Because here he was, he was with people who were literally sinners. They were tax collectors and such that were extorting people, taking advantage of people, doing all kinds of bad things. And yet they were willing to sit there and listen to the truth from Jesus and to to receive his love and to be transformed by it and to part with their old ways. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. On the other hand, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law that were condemning Jesus, what were they doing? They, they had all the law right. They understood that the tax collectors were acting in a sinful way, and yet they had no desire to see those tax collectors saved. They had no desire to see those tax collectors transformed simply to stay separate from them. False teachers often do that. They love to create separation. They love to create a way to have an exclusive club because that elevates them, It elevates those people who follow them, And so from a worldly standpoint, it looks like it's providing refreshment while it's actually deteriorating them. You see, real freedom, real truth looks like following how Jesus lived. And that looks like both speaking the truth, but speaking that truth with utter love. And even when we need to say really hard things, even when we have to oppose how other people are living or acting, we do it with broken hearts. We do it with great care for them. It should genuinely hurt us when we see other people hurting. We should take no joy in it. But the false teachers did. And in that, it appeared to give them great freedom. They could speak their mind. They could say what they thought was true, what their followers thought was true, and they could do it with utter lack of care of any consequences for other people because they were free and they were free to do whatever things they wanted to do as well that the bible condemns because they found excuses for them that wasn't loving themselves really and it certainly wasn't loving their neighbors it also wasn't pleasing god back in the first letter that peter sent that we have first peter chapter two we read this Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And here it is, Peter is laying down exactly what true Christian freedom looks like, what the truth looks like. Because here Peter was listing out both believers and unbelievers. No one thought that the emperor was a believer, for example. No one thought the emperor was a godly man. No one thought the emperor liked Christians. They had every reason to expect to be killed by the edicts of the emperor. They're called to honor him. They're also called to honor each other, to love each other, and to do all that in the context of honoring God, fearing God. We're going to begin a series on the Proverbs again next week. There's lots of talk about fearing God in there. That's central to the Christian life. And it's not the sense that God's going to smite me if I don't do enough good works. It's an actual understanding. Here is this holy God that that could, if he wanted, smite me. Yes, but he loves me. And so I want to honor him. I want to do what's pleasing to him. Because here's the holy God who loves me. And yet we let that get corroded a little bit. I can be a little angry at these people. I can overlook this sin in my life because it's not really hurting everyone else that much. And God's so busy, it's not really hurting him either. We do a little and a little more, and we keep running down that path in the sandstorm until we're just completely lost. Think about over the last few decades how we as a world have moved away from the use of lead. That's an interesting metal, useful for lots of things. It It is a pretty functional metal and it's still amazingly good at things like shielding us from radiation, but it's also a very poisonous metal. And so isn't it interesting, for example, that we used to make all kinds of glassware using lead, crystal glass, beautiful leaded glass. It, it looks beautiful. You can put neat cuttings into it and make it sparkle like crazy. We paint our Houses with lead paint that looked beautiful. We made our cars run better with leaded gasoline. We used lead all over the place. And as we were doing that, we were poisoning ourselves. Isn't interesting? It looked beautiful. It looked refreshing. It looked very functional. And it's also very poisonous, especially to children. I was reading some statistics about lead. And the World Health Organization estimates that there are 21.7 million years, million years lost from people who either were disabled by lead or who died early because of lead. Think about that, 21.7 million people years. 30% of the unknown causes of intellectual disability in our world today are thought to be caused by lead poisoning. 4.6% of the, the cardiovascular health issues in this world Three percent of the chronic kidney disease in the world caused by this thing that looks beautiful when you make a, a piece of crystal out of it and you pour a nice refreshing beverage into it. Looks refreshing, but guess what? As is is it looks refreshing, it's putting lead in our bodies, and that lead stays in our bodies. I, I didn't realize this, but apparently someone can absorb lead over the years, and then if that person ha- that that woman has a child the child can actually get lead poisoning before he or she's even born because that lead stays in our bodies and just sits there because our bodies can't deal with the poison. So here's this thing that looks so useful, seems useful in the moment, makes the paint last, makes the cars run great, makes the table look beautiful with the dishes set out there, and yet is poisoning us slowly building up over time. that's what false freedom and false teaching do. They, They build up over time. What happens with false freedom poisoning? It enslaves us. And that's what Peter is talking about as he goes on in verse 19. He says, they promise them freedom, the followers of the false teachers, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them what the true proverb says has happened to them the dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire it looks good. It looks so good, just like that crystalware sitting on the table. So you pour all the the beverages in it. And and I was reading actually the wealthy who would be more likely to have had that leaded glass because it was expensive, it was exclusive and beautiful and also to drink finer alcoholic beverages. It's thought that maybe that's the reason why over the centuries past it was found that the upper classes often were the ones who suffered the most from gout, because gout is thought to be coordinated with lead poisoning. And so here they are pouring these acidic, expensive alcoholic drinks into this expensive, beautiful glassware, looking like they were being successful. And they were bringing about the destruction of their own bodies. This false teaching looks like we're being successful, looks beautiful, It looks hopeful. It seems to give us more freedom, escape from legalism, which is a good thing, by the way. It's good to escape legalism, but so it, beauty in itself is a good thing too. Beautiful glassware, nothing wrong with that. But it's that poison hidden in it that holds it together. That poison hidden in false freedom that, that makes us think that we're freer, but we're actually enslaving ourselves to the sins of the world. That's what Peter crux is here. He wants us to hear this very clearly. We are going to be enslaved to something. You're going to be enslaved to something. I'm going to be enslaved to something. We don't like to think that way, but simply the truth. What's it going to be? Are we going to be enslaved to our sin, to our greed, to our desire for success and recognition, and and people applauding us and being more important than other people, or, or whatever it might be, whatever your temptation is, whatever my temptation is, we're we going to be enslaved to that. Or are we going to be enslaved to Jesus? Because when we're enslaved to Jesus, we find freedom. It sounds counterintuitive, but when we're actually following him, we start to live the life we were meant to live. And what greater freedom can we truly experience than the freedom to actually be what we were made to be? We won't find that in false teaching. We won't find that in false freedom. Here's the horrible thing about those false teachers. And, and those of us, as we allowed ourselves to start feeding on that false teaching, it may feel like it's building us up in the moment and even glorifying God in the moment. Some of these people that I referenced earlier that love to go online and they blast other quote unquote false teachers, but they're doing it in a way that doesn't look Christ-like at all. They're not doing it to, to defend the glory of Jesus in a true sense, but to build themselves up and experience their own glory. Sometimes they're defending things rightly and sometimes wrongly, but always in the wrong manner. What are they doing, really? I believe what Peter's saying here is they're utterly blaspheming God as they do it. We're utterly blaspheming God when we do it. Because here's the thing. We know what true freedom looks like. We know what Jesus's path for us looks like. The sandstorm is blowing around us and we can't necessarily see, but as we turn to God's word and we hold the Bible open in the midst of that sandstorm, we see a very clear path. A path that has lots of truth and lots of love always combined together. Just like Jesus eating with the the sinners that, that once again, Jim was talking about last night. And as we see that and as we hold on to that, we're, we're glorifying God and we're praising him. But when we let go of either side of that, we, we're so focused on seeming like we're loving other people that we never preach the truth, that we we support whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it because we feel like, well, now I'm loving like Jesus. We're not glorifying God in that. And when we hold on to what what the Bible says we should do, And we're holding on to seemingly the truth, and yet we're doing it in a deeply unloving manner. We're not really worried about people being shown the love of Christ and understanding his grace and and coming to a saving knowledge of him, but rather to remind them of what awful people they are, or to silence people that get in our way. What are we doing? Because we've seen the truth. We, We know the truth in here. What are we doing? We're blaspheming God. That's why Peter says it's worse for these false teachers having experienced the truth, having seen the truth than if they'd never experienced it at all. Because now they've weaponized the truth. Now they've used bits and pieces of the gospel and, and the scriptures to build themselves up rather than to build up God. Now, is is this a passage on losing salvation? I I don't believe so. Because there are other clear passages that say that Jesus isn't going to let go of his sheep. Jesus isn't going to let go of those who actually have experienced his saving grace. I believe what the author here is saying, what Peter wants us to hear is that there are going to be people who come into the church who absorb the truth of the church, who know the mannerisms of the church, who then teach like the church, but do it in a way that misleads other people. And so they're not going to experience God's grace. The The ultimate punishment for those who are completely separated is to be cast away into utter darkness. Now, there's a middle ground here, and that's why it's so important for believers to hear this. There are times where we get a little into this, and we're still holding on to God's grace. He's He's gracious to forgive us even when we don't get things right, thankfully, because otherwise we'd be in terrible trouble. And it can cause us to feel very uh, very detached from him, very hopeless over time, because we start to be dra- dragged away from the dawning light of Jesus and into that darkness. Something's going to be my master. Something is going to enslave me. Is it going to be all the things of the world, including false teaching, or is it going to be Jesus? To paraphrase a song, it it turns out when we think we're chasing after this freedom, it turns out that freedom ain't nothing but missing God. We think it offers something, but it doesn't. And these false teachers, they're destined for hell because they've completely rejected what was right in front of them, the beautiful banquet of, of that's fi- the goblets are all made of non-poisonous materials. It's refreshing. It's going to build them up, and yet they've turned away from it. Maruo, the, the runner that we talked about at the very beginning, there, there's more to his story. You see, when he arrived at that shrine and he thought he'd found success, he thought he'd finally found a, at least a way to live, and then he realized there still wasn't any water. There There still was... There wasn't a human being around. He just assumed that he was lost terribly. His mind started to race. And he remembered that if he was just missing, if no one found him, if he went back out into the desert trying to find the success of, of living at this point, but was just lost, that his wife would have to wait nearly a decade before she'd receive a life insurance policy. That was the how the policy was written. And so he concluded... It'd be better if he'd just die quickly so that at least maybe his body would be found. And at least he, well, he wasn't going to survive, but at least his family would be taken care of. And so one night as he's sitting in that shrine, he sliced his wrists and hoped that he would just die by the time morning came. However, he was so dehydrated, he, his blood didn't actually flow out. He lived, and so he took that as a sign maybe there was some purpose still to his life, and he got back up and he trudged along until he actually saw... A a young girl walking out in the desert she saw him and she ran because he was so terrifying looking after all these days without food and without proper hydration but she brought back someone from the village and he was rescued but he almost lost the sense of, of the only success that really mattered surviving and returning back home he he lost the sense that he could even get there because he'd wandered so far into the darkness of being lost in that desert and when we allow the false teaching that chips away at the joy of following Jesus, of, of the hope of following Jesus, of the love we experience in Christ, we get to those same places and we start to just despair. We, we don't show hope to others and we don't show hope to ourselves. That poison builds up in us and yet God calls us to something better, something that will last, something that will refresh us. He calls us to the pure and poisoned truth may that be what we experience today as we we turn to his word and we hold on to it and we know that it is true and it is good the freedom of being his and doing it his way it's not easy it's not easy to to both be truly genuinely loving and truly genuinely holding on for dear life to the truth because people don't like it when we do both we don't like it when we do both But that's where real freedom is that's where real success is. That's where real life is, right in the midst of the dawning of God's glory that we see, and someday we will see in full. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we come before you tonight, and and some of us on here may never have trusted in you yet. Maybe some someone listening tonight has been sort of wondering about following you. Maybe followed some false teachers that that have clearly come up less than satisfactory, and, and yet, now what? Some of us may have been following you for a very long time, and yet we still ask that same question, now what? Because we feel like we're watching the sandstorm swirl all around us. But would you help us to hold on to what is genuinely true? Would you help us to hold on to your gospel? Would you help us to experience your love and to share that love with others, Lord, would you help us to be refreshed by the only thing that truly offers refreshment and not the false promises, the mirages that, that seem to but ultimately only dehydrate us further. Would just help us to hold on to you. We pray that in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Hope this has been encouraging to you tonight. It's it's been a dark series. We've been dealing with dark things, and yet it's so important because every time we come right back to that truth that Jesus loves you, Jesus loves me, his light's there for us. And so if this has encouraged you, would you give it a like or a share? Would you post it on your social media, email it to someone, call someone over, and say, let's let's watch this together and think about God's truth. Because here's the thing: when you invite it makes all the difference. God uses us to bring those goblets of refreshment to those around us, and you can do that by inviting someone. Invite them to come on Monday nights. Invite them to come on Sunday nights. You can truly make a difference that way. We're going to pick up in Proverbs next week. We're returning to Proverbially Speaking. I can't wait. This is our traditional summer series. We spend a few weeks every every summer in Proverbs, and I can't wait to do it again. This will be our fourth journey through the through part of proverbs on steadfast can't wait to share it with you it will be once again at 7 p.m on monday nights we're going to be looking at lady wisdom this time we could use a lot of god's wisdom in this world and i can't wait to share that with you if there's any way i can be praying for you this week any questions you might have feel free to shoot me a text at 833-356-4032 i would love to hear from you that way or leave a comment in the comments below. A prayer request in the comments below. We can all pray for each other together. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. And do join us on Sunday in person if you can, because we're going to have a barbecue hot dog dinner after church. You really don't want to miss that. And if you can't join us in person, maybe bring a hot dog along and watch it and eat your hot dog with us. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week, and I'll see you again next week.